All right, here we go. Welcome to the Teaching a Rockstar podcast. And on this episode, we have David Rickert. David is a guy that I found online. You know what? It was Nikki Hyman. She sent me an email. She said, you got to get this guy on the show. He's fascinating. I looked him up. I checked him out. We were talking. I found out about this guy. It's amazing. He... Teaches English past two decades in the classroom. Uh, teaches AP English for dual credit. He's a fascinating guy. And, I mean, you know, some of my favorite stuff about this guy is the creativity he comes up with to, to communicate the content in the classroom. In addition to that, he uses comics to um, teach the classics, man, and, like, the information that a lot of kids – that aren't into reading yet, that this is a way to hook him in there. And he has all this stuff on Teachers Pay Teachers. He's an awesome guy. And you know what? Here's here's the funny thing about this. You know, anytime you get re somebody really fascinating on the show, you know, I have this list of stuff I want to talk about. And, like, I'm not sure we got to any of it because, like, something else came up. And, you know, you, anytime, you know, you find somebody who loves to talk about teaching and kids, you just never know what's going to come up. And I love this episode. I think you will, too. Here we go. Teach a Rockstar Podcast with David Rickert. Let's do this. Hey, man, here's the thing. I, um, I have a friend of mine. And I don't know, I don't know how she found your stuff, but uh, she sent me an email and it had a link to all your stuff. And she says, "Oh my God, you got to get this guy on your podcast. He has so much great stuff for teachers." And so I started bumping around your site and then looking on Teachers Pay Teachers and man, the whole comics thing. And man, I just love it. You have so much good stuff. Oh, thank you. How did how did you get in all like like from the very start? Because I know originally, I think I read that you were actually doing some drawing and some comics um, in college, maybe, and then you started teaching. Yeah, that was um, what happened. Was is I I had uh, had always been interested in it and actually uh, thought about going into it um, as a profession, um, but kind of chickened out and decided that um, I would just go to a regular, you know, college and. Um, I, I drew a comic strip for the Lantern, which is the Ohio State University's um, newspaper, and that was a Monday through Friday thing. And it was something that I had always wanted to do because I was always always more of a um, comic strip guy than comics. Uh -huh. That was what I read growing up, yeah. and um, so I did that, and that was a good um, training for me to you know come up with ideas quickly, you know, because you had to come up with an idea regardless of whether you know you had one or not. You know, you, you had to do something for. Monday through Friday and get those, get those in. And at this time, was it like, um, well, two questions. One, um, when you were growing up, where was it called the comics or the funnies? Uh, I think it was called the comics. I don't remember calling it the funnies. I don't, I don't know. My parents might've used that term at some point, but I, I think it was always the comics. Yeah. I remember my grandparents, and my parents calling it the funnies and, um, but I'll call it the comics. And that was my big thing, man. Yanking that thing, get the, get rid of that coupon section in the paper and get the, uh, you know, yeah. the Sunday paper comics out. And then the other thing I was at, I was, I was wondering when, when you were in college and the, and, w and what you were doing there, was it, um, was it literature focus or political focus or was it satire? Uh, it was it was much more based on um, what I saw going on around campus, um, and uh, so it was, it was basically you know a, a cast of characters that you know went to a fictional university. It wasn't like Ohio State or anything like that, and so um, a, a lot of it was puns, um, which you know now I'm not real crazy about in terms of like a style of humor, but it was you know an easy thing to come up with and, and draw. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times it would be commentary on things that um that, that people would say um for instance the one that that 
I think early on got me the gig was I, I did this one where um, there were people that you had two characters and they were saying the problem with being at the university is that everybody here is just a number. And I drew everybody's head to look like a number. And they were walking around campus that way. And everybody seemed to, to like that. So I, I, I found myself like writing down things that people would say that I thought were kind of, you know, they would say it straight. And I'm like, okay, I could totally work with that. Right. Um, so I did that for about two and a half years, I think. And then I really had to buckle down and do my education classes. I just didn't have time, you know, with student teaching and all that to do that. So um, and then I got a job and I kind of left that part of my life behind me for a number of years. Um, and then um, when our son was born, we were kind of looking for artwork to have in his room and, you know, stuff that we could hang on the walls. And um, we didn't really find anything that we liked. And my wife was um, just said, why don't you do it? And I was like, okay. So I dusted out all this stuff that I hadn't used for probably about 10 years. And I really remembered how much I liked doing it and how relaxing I found it. Um, and then I just started to kind of draw again, but it was, it's difficult unless you have like a purpose and a, and a reason for why you're doing it. It's really tough to, to find a way to, to do that stuff. And then um, my, um, my sister-in-law got me a book for either Christmas or my birthday that was all about education and comics together. And I started reading this book and I was like, ah, this is it. This is what I can do. Yeah. So that was when I started to create um, comics that I, I think the first ones I did were, were on commas. And then I moved into the parts of speech. And it was at, at that time that um, Teachers Pay Teachers was getting off the ground too. And I saw a thing about that in um, the NEA magazine. And I said, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what I need to do. So I put those up there and they started to generate a positive response from people. And it's just kind of taken off since then in all sorts of interesting and fun directions. You know, man, I get it. Here, here's one of the reasons I love this is years ago, this might be over probably 12 years ago. And I was just getting into my professional development stuff and um, I had to get, get a website. And this is before websites were easy to build. This is before the drag and drop time. And, you know, I, I was looking around for somebody to do it and I found, um, I think it was called the round table. And it was some guy who just put together copywriters and designers and artists from all around and um and he would put together a team really affordable for you to um get your stuff created and one of the things that this guy did on the side was he was creating comics based around business books mm -hmm. and self-help and like personal growth stuff and like i'm looking at that thinking now why isn't anybody doing that Mm -hmm. for these really really heavy literature books in school and and yeah. and you know and, and then at the time I was teaching some really um just some some kids with some crazy challenges in their neighborhood and where they grew up in the apartment complex in which they lived and I thought to myself this would be the perfect thing cuz trying to get a kid to 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 really dig in you know to read that kind of literature which was my goal but at the same time I thought man what if I could tempt him and bait him in with something like this yeah that was kind of that was kind of what my idea was was to do something that was um, a little bit more visual for those who needed it um, and I was just kind of like my, my goal when I was doing these was like what, what can I do to make this fun for kids um, so there was always something in there that was trying to incorporate humor and things like that to make it a little bit more fun and engaging for you know people that were were working with it the other interesting thing about it is like you never you know, I, I create these and, and I'm never quite sure exactly who's going to use them and for what. And it's really helped out a lot of um, struggling readers. Um, it's helped out with kids that, um, you know, visual learners, obviously. Um, 
especially uh, the ones that I do that are most popular is I do little um, one act summaries or one page summaries of each act for Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, and those have been really good for people because you know what, what happened was I, I, the problem was is that I wanted short summaries of Romeo and Juliet when I was teaching it and I couldn't find them. They always gave way too much information and there was no reason to read it after that because there was too much there. So um, these are just one page summaries of each act that you can, you can read through. And I use the original text and, and use that as the, as the speech in there. And I always try to make them fun. Like I know there's graphic novels for Romeo and Juliet, but they seem just kind of like big comic books. And these are more kind of along the lines of something that you'd see like in Mad Magazine. So yeah. I like hide things in there, um, you know, put things like SpongeBob in there so that people can find <laughs> it. Um, I put the the battle bus from Fortnite in one of them that I'm sure like most of the teachers didn't know, but the kids will read it and right. they'll be like, oh yeah, I totally know what that is. That's, you know, that's cool that that's in there. So I try to make it, make it fun because for a lot of kids, this will be the first um, exposure that they'll have to Shakespeare. And I want to make sure that it's a good experience for them. So those have been really good. A lot of people say that they, um, they work really well. Like I said, for reluctant learner, uh, re reluctant um, readers, um, you know, people that are, um, have learning disabilities and things like that, that maybe the text is a little bit too complex for them, but this is a nice way to bridge the gap or refresh kids with what's going on in those. You know what? Also, brother, it's um, also about like the average, normal, everyday person, let alone kid. Yeah. You know, I saw this article where it was written and it was on the interwebs. It was highlighted in different colors. And at the at the top, it was green. And what it was, these colors are based on how focused uh, or how much it kept the reader's attention. And they mm -hmm. put in there words that are very rarely used that most people don't know the definition of or how to use them in context. And they had adults read this thing. And it was amazing. Yeah. You know, they hit, they hit that first word and like 50 percent of the attention dropped off just because they didn't understand that one word and then there's another word and another word and by like by that by maybe halfway through this article very few people still were engaged in the article and uh -huh. i think about that and then i think about just your average kid reading shakespeare with just the way that yeah. word, even though they might know the definition or might not but just the way it's used in context in a different um way in the spelling how many how many kids are we losing you know, where if they had something what you do, that that might keep them engaged a little longer. Yeah, it, it, it seems to work out. Real, I mean, I, I get a lot of comments from people that said that this was like a, a, a huge time saver for them. Um, you know, if kids had missed a bunch of school, they could just pass that out and catch them, catch them up to where they needed to be. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad that they found a home and that they're, you know, finding use out of it. I like the fact that I have a classroom that's larger than the one that I see every day that, you know, the, they're being used by people, you know, around the world to, to help them out and help them understand Shakespeare. And I find that really gratifying. And hey when you were growing up and you were in junior high and high school, were you a reader? Uh, yeah, I was always, I've always been a reader. Yeah. Um, that was always something that was part of what I do. And, and even to this day, like I'm one of those people that I get really nervous if I don't have like a stack of books yeah. next to my, um, next to my bed, because I'm afraid that I'll pick one up and I won't like it. And then there won't be anything for me to read after that. So I just have to have like two or three books, you know, on deck. Yeah. So that I, I, I know I can, I can relax. I've got something to read. You know what it is for me, man. It's, um, it's always, um, uh, you know what I love are those teachers are just trying to find that one book that, you know, every, I mean, they believe there's a book that's going to hook a kid, like every kid, yeah. there's a book out there. We just got to find the right book. And for me, man, I was not a reader. I had no interest all through junior high. No, I was, man, I didn't want to read so much when I was in high school. I remember my junior year, we had to read a book every three weeks. And then we had like this two page report we had to fill out on it. 
I would like make up a title. I'd make up an author. <laughs> I'd make up the plot. And, yeah. um, and, and of course the funny part is I, I thought I was amazing, but when I went back to student teach, those teachers could not wait to tell me how much they loved my fabricated and fake stories I wrote. Oh, for that's, them. Funny. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny. They thought, man. It seems like a pretty big risk that you'd get away with that. I mean, it's, it'd be tough to do it now because like you could Google it and see if it actually exists. Right. But I thought, um, man, I was killing yeah, it. It, it, it's funny because like, I feel sometimes like, you know, we go into the subjects that we're passionate about and sometimes that can be a huge drawback because I don't know what it's like to not want to read. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really much help with, um, you know, those kids that don't like to read. Cause I've, I've never really understood that mindset. Like I'll read anything. Um, you know, somebody recommend a book that to me that they say, I think you'd enjoy this or I like this book and I'll pick it up and read it no matter what the genre is or anything like that. Um, but when I'm in the classroom, I don't, you know, and I have students that don't, like to read um, or, or, you know, choose not to, I don't quite know what to do with that. I mean, hopefully, you know, as language arts teachers or English teachers, our passion for that carries over to the kids and like, oh, well, he likes it, then therefore maybe there's something here of value. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, it's just, there's there's a lot of stuff to compete with reading today. You're not um, kidding, you know, man. Your, your phone cannot compete or reading cannot compete with your phone. No. So, it's easy to go down the rabbit hole in whatever thing you might be a little bit interested in, yeah. you know, especially for a kid. They just dig deeper and deeper and go from whatever they're on in Instagram, the YouTube it, and then they're down on the, in, you know, then they're researching it, which it's not a bad thing, but, um, yeah. you know, the, the book for me, I was going to tell you that, um, got me hooked. I mean, it's almost embarrassing, but I loved it at the time. <laughs> it was, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it wasn't a fiction book. It was the book. The movie was made after catch me if you can. And okay. you, have you seen it with Leonardo? I think yeah, the, the, yeah, the Leonardo. Yeah, 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 I saw that movie. And I so was the, just, the book came after the movie. Uh, the, no, the this is the book came out way before the movie, and I got okay. that book, and I was a senior in high school in nineteen eighty five and um eighty four, and I, 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 I like I, I could not believe this was a real person. Like this is a documentary, and, yeah. and the whole thing was just like because it really kind of introduces this idea like anything's possible, brother, and um yeah. and and then I just went then I just went crazy on books after that. Yeah. So, you know, the funny thing is uh, what's surprising is like if I do those surveys, like I'm not really I don't learn by reading like that's not my strength. Like I learn by either manipulating something or um, I'm, I'm a, a much more visual person. Yeah, I guess the visual thing makes sense. That's, but like if, right. if, if I get like if I get a uh, like a new appliance or something like that and I'll, they have the manual that explains how to do it, like I don't that's not what I'll do. I'll just mess with it to see how it works. That's that's how I learn how to do something is, is by doing that. And um you know, the problem is, is that um, I, I tend to make a lot of mistakes with installing things because <laughs> I didn't do, I didn't like read the directions fully, but that's just not, that's just how I'm wired. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. But you know what, even though um, I think, uh, you know, not finding the, the, the specific right book for the kid, um, I think what you have gone on is is equally effective, you know, with the uh, comics and the cartoons and, mm-hmm. and, a, and a kid can put himself into that picture and it, and it comes to life easier rather than just trying to look at all these words and all these sentences and just trying to figure that out. Yeah. Well, it's nice. I, I think what a lot of people like them is it it gives you you know, at the very least, you have a picture of what this person might look like. And it helps you remember. I mean, again, the the other problem with Shakespeare is that the names are different. Um, And, you know, I I remember reading um, like a Russian novel, um, like uh, War and Peace, uh, which is a book I actually like. But one of the struggles that I had was those names didn't register with me if they were, you know, like if they were names like, you know, Matt or 
you know, Sarah or something like that. It just wasn't really in my wheelhouse. And so, you know, if you can match something visual up to something that you're reading, it helps kind of like encode that so that, you know, kids see it. And then when they're taking a test or writing about it or whatever, they, they that's what they picture is that particular image. You know, anytime um, and, I, you and know, I think that helps to attach that. Heck yeah, man. Anytime I wrote, I, I read a book, I didn't read that one for college. I read it um, for a sort of pleasure and I, um, I actually had to change the name. So I would associate yeah. like, you know, if it, if it was an R I'd change that name to Rick. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I did was, uh, and this worked well, cause there's like a, there's like a movie version of it. And so what I would do is I would look at the, the people that played that particular role. And then once I could do that, then I was good to go. Um, if I could picture a particular like actor's face, then that seemed to help. With, with that stuff. Yeah, man. You know, I tell you what, brother, here's, here's what I love about what you have going on so much as well is when I found out just now that you were an active reader growing up. Cause yeah. oftentimes um, when it's hard for teachers to get outside of their own reality and, you know, for, you know, for a lot of teachers that come into the classroom, they've had a super successful academic career. They're killing it in junior high and high school, making straight A's and their parents were, mm-hmm. you know, on top of them, they had a desk in their bedroom and they're doing the homework and they go to college and that's pretty easy. And they stick with that and they graduate. And so they show up in the classroom and, and there's not a lot of kids like that, man. There's a lot yeah. of kids. Struggling. That, it's funny. We were just, I was just having that conversation, I think yesterday or the day before with, with teachers and like the big wake up calls, we go to college and we think, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to go into this classroom. I'm going to teach to kill a mockingbird or whatever. And every kid is going to love it. And, you know, it's going to be this wonderfully transformative reading experience. And it's, it's just not that way. It's just a big wake up call when you go out to the, to see that, that, you know, it's very difficult to inspire that in kids. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure we do a good enough job, you know, in our teacher preparation uh, programs in, in universities. I'm close with a few of them, and I'm not sure there's any talk about what to like what's really happening into the classroom until the kid shows up for student teaching. And then, you know, with student teaching, oftentimes a kid is with some amazing educator that, mm-hmm. you know, just they don't even know how they do what they do because they've been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. And there's it's hard for a kid to learn from that because now with, with that with that supervising teacher that's killing it in the classroom, they're amazing. It's really more a part of their DNA and who they are rather than what they're doing and as a strategy at this point. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's definitely something that you it's difficult to describe why things work and you have to just kind of immerse yourself in it and figure it out you know, as, as you go. But, uh, you know, I have to say that, um, you know, I'm, I teach in a suburban school and, you know, my experience is quite different than, you know, other people's experiences. And that's another thing that's kind of weird about teaching is, you know, your, my situation is going to be drastically different from other people's, you know, if you sell insurance, you're basically kind of doing the same type of work, you know, it's the job doesn't change, but like teaching, you know, if, if you're in, um, you know, rural America versus in this inner city America versus, um, you know, out on the East Coast, you know, your, your job is going to be completely different. The demands that are going to be placed on you are completely different. Yeah. You know, I think a big part of this gig is um, really becoming self-aware as to what your strength is and being okay with that and like owning that. You know, I, I taught at a school that went through a huge change within just a few years. It was like a really upper middle class suburban type school. I mean, everybody's parents went to college. We'd have, we on, on open house, we might have 90% of our kids represented there mm-hmm. by parents. 
everybody's going to college, the whole thing. And within just a few years, they built new neighborhoods, they built new schools. And that school within two or three years really became, um, I mean, you know, free and reduced lunch. It was a title one school. We had, I mean, our, our demographics changed dramatically and it was just a whole new kind of kid, a whole new kind of parent. I mean, no parents showing up for open house. And, um, and within those first um, few months of that year, I remember really um, thinking negatively, to say the least, about a lot of those teachers, about how they were working with these kids. And then I realized, wait a minute, that's a great teacher. They just have the wrong kid. Yeah. Like, they were awesome. But go find your kids, man. Like, they don't go to school here anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're down it's, the road. You know, it's funny that you say that, because I, I work in the same district that I grew up in. Um, so I went K through 12 um, in, in my district, and it was completely different when I went through. Um, I'd, I'd say that probably 90% of the houses that my students live in now were not built when I lived there. It was much more of a farming community, mm-hmm. um, and it was just a, a different environment than what it is today. So it's always fun to share those stories with my students about like what it used to be like to grow up where, you're, you know, where they're growing up, what, what it was like when I grew up there. And it's, you know, it's interesting. It really is. It can happen very quickly yeah. in a community. And so uh, for, for now, how far outside of Columbus are you? Uh, just about, well, um, j- like from downtown Columbus, my school is about 20 minute drive. There you go. So a lot of the parents are working in Columbus and living out there. Yeah, pro- probably. I, I think a lot of them live, you know, basically, um, you know, we're on, on the outer belt. So mm-hmm. that's, they live out there. And you know, I think some of them work out there. I don't, I don't know how many of them actually work downtown. I really don't have a good sense of that. But Nationwide Insurance is a big employer here. And so, you know, we have a decent number of people that work there. Yeah. Hey, when when you came back to uh, teach at the high school, um, were there some of the teachers still there that taught you? Yeah, there was. Um, in, in fact, I started out in middle school and there was a number of teachers there that I had. And it was, you know, of course, the difficult thing is to remember to call them by their first name and not by their, you know, <laughs> Mrs. or Mr. or whatever. Right. And then, yeah, so they had... Um, then we had, uh, yeah, I, I came to the high school and experienced the same thing. And of course, now I've been teaching long enough that now I'm that guy. Yeah, here, you know, here they come. The, yeah, the, te- the, the students come back to teach. <laughs> and then now I'm the I'm the guy that's the, you know, hey, he was here as a teacher when I was here. Yeah. Well, what, now, was that your goal to go back and uh, teach at the same place you, you uh, grew up? No, it was just that um, I had some in. I, I mean, I, I didn't not want to go there, but it, I just had enough ins there that, um, you know, people believed in me and, you know, knew who I was. And so that's where I ended up. And as you know, it's difficult once you get into a place to, to get out of it. I mean, one, one of the problems I think with, with teaching is, is that there's not like career advancement, you know, like if you're a teacher, there's not many areas that you can go within a district to do different things. Yeah. Um, whereas in, in other professions, there's a lot of mobility that you can do. And even now, like if I wanted to go to a different district because I just wanted to change, um, that's just not going to happen because the the way the pay scale works is you have to be, you know, you have to accept the pay cut because they won't pay you for how many years you have. They cap you off usually at 10. And a lot of districts around here um, won't hire beyond like two years of experience anyway. Yeah. Um, because they, they don't want to hire people that are more expensive. Are you guys a union state? Yeah, we are. Yeah. We don't in Texas, they're they're not really down for that. You mean Oh, oh really? <laughs> no. There's I mean so, there's, so does that mean that there's a will they union. just hire whoever they want? Yeah, there's there's a union, but th- there's not really. I mean it, it doesn't really carry any weight. People join it because you get like f- not free you, you get like the legal 
uh, you know, in case you get sued or something like that. So you yeah. get kind of that legal insurance coverage of some sort. But no, there's no bargaining power or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, getting the uh, legal representation is definitely a good thing to have. Yeah, I'm signing up for sure, man. You never know. Hopefully you don't need it. Right. I mean, that would be. But there's crazy people everywhere. You just never know, man. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it just seems, yeah, I, I think back to the social media thing, I think that's been a big issue too, is, you know, stuff can blow up on social media before you can even get a hold of it yeah. as a district. You know, that's the truth, man. I tell you what, I can't tell you how many superintendents I've worked with and principals where some fabricated fictionalized story uh, um, gets out there by just somebody like a bored, crazy mom sitting at home. And, mm -hmm. um, and like, it's not even remotely true, but because they posted yeah. it and it spread like wildfire and it became right. it, like, became a reality. It's, it's unbelievable what could happen so fast. Yeah. Well, and, and even if it is true um, and you know, somebody legitimately makes a mistake um, sometimes the pitchforks can come out pretty quickly before the district has a chance to respond and think about okay, how do we want to handle this? And um, you know, or the or the teachers able to respond and say, okay, I need to, you know, it just kind of gets way blown way out of proportion, and it's it's just the reality that we live in. Yeah. You just have to be really careful. It really is that pile on. What do they call it, man? I'm tr I'm trying to get hip to the kids. I think the kids call it the call out culture. Uh, that might be it. I'm not I'm not sure either. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You're not hip either, man. <laughs> well, there was a time when I was using the same social media as they were, but now that's not the case. Mm -hmm. You know. Cause I'm like, you know, now I'm on the social media that like old people use and they use, you know, right. other things like Snapchat that I have no understanding of. No, in fact, some, uh, uh, somebody got mad at me the other day. They asked me for my Snapchat and I said, sorry, I'm an adult. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my, my freshmen use it all the time. And usually like at the end of class, um, I, I just have one class of freshmen, but they, um, they'll Snapchat at the end of class, like just, you know, cause they have to, I don't really understand why, but they have to take pictures of themselves constantly. And sometimes I'll pop my head in there and, you know, my picture will go out and, you know, I photobomb these things on Snapchat and they go out there. So right. um, I, I assume I'm pretty well recognized by freshmen in the building, even though I don't have them just because I'm always doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so I'm curious when you were first, how, in your opinion, like what's, what's one of the big things that have changed, um, for you as an educator from your first year that you showed up in the classroom to right now? Um, I'd say that, um, the, the biggest thing is the, the, the mode of instruction has changed quite a bit. Like if, if I looked at, I don't have any of this stuff anymore, but if I looked at like the way that I taught things like to kill mockingbird or mice and men, um, I, I would definitely probably not teach I, I would definitely not teach the way that i did it you know it's a lot of like read this and then go over study questions and then quiz and do things like that and that's just not really how education works well anymore it's a lot, a lot more project based a lot more inquiry based there's a lot more choice that students are given in terms of like how they're assessed and what they're choosing to work on i think that's the biggest change is it's more student-led than um you know than, than it used to be we have a lot of teachers in our district that have tables um, like big tables in their classrooms that kids sit at instead of rows, mm -hmm. um, you know, to encourage collaboration. I mean, that, that I think is another big piece too, is the, is the collaboration piece. Um, I, I'd say that's probably the biggest change um, that I've seen is just, just that the method of delivery. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I was talking about this recently with a group of teachers and it, I can remember um, coming into uh, teaching and then you would get some advice and they would tell you straight up, man, here's how you do it. But now yeah. it's a whole different thing. Well, here's one thing you might want to consider is more like it. Well, and the funny thing about that is like, so now we feel like we've got it figured out. 
<laughs> but you know, in 15 years, we'll have thought that what we were doing was completely wrong, and we'll have moved on to something else. We just don't know what it is yet. Right. I hope so. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, like if you're still doing, um, and believe me, I see it out there. Like, I, I don't know if people, because I'm in like hundreds of schools regularly, and I think people mm-hmm. would be shocked. I mean, there really are um, teachers that are still teaching the same lesson that they delivered when I was in high school in the early 80s. Yeah. It's, I mean, and I'm, I'm one of those people that has to constantly be tinkering with things and probably to a fault because, you know, I won't sometimes keep things that are working and doing what I'm, what they're designed to do. Like, I'm always thinking, okay, maybe I could make this better. So, um, I'm always constantly trying new things in the classroom just because it keeps me fresh. I, I knew a, uh, I read about a teacher one time. I would never do this, but she always threw out her lesson plans at the end of the year. And that forced her to reinvent, not, you know, just do things differently and not get stuck in those ruts. I think that's probably a little bit drastic, but I like the idea behind it. Yeah. I'm totally the same way, man. I'm a total what if kind of guy. Like, what if we, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> rather than here we go yeah. again, I just cannot do it. Well, and the problem is sometimes I stumble on an idea that works and I won't remember necessarily that it worked as well as it did. Um, and so then I'll like think, well, that probably wasn't the best way to do it. I need to, to mess with it. And so I've, I've learned to leave myself little notes. Like what I'll do is I'll have the assignment like on on uh, on like a Google Doc. And then once I'm done with that, like at the top of the page, I'll write down something like this worked well, do this again so that like when I see it and I open it up to see if I want to do it again, like I remember, okay, yeah, you should do this. Like I have to leave notes for my future self who I know will doubt what I was doing the year before. You know, just all those um, services available through Google. I mean, it's a mind blower. Like if somebody told me that 30 years ago, that this is, this is even like for free, by the way, I mean, I can't even get my head around what they have now, like using it. And I know I only use maybe 10% of what's available, but it's so Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. It's really nice. That's another thing that I would say is the, is a big change is like how much of that stuff that I was doing at first, um, is not done automatically. Like I had to have a grade book um, when I first started teaching. And if a kid wanted to know their grade, I had to like sit there and add it up, yeah. um, you know, in the squibs or whatever. And now we have the system that you just enter the grades and it automatically calculates it for them. And they have access to their grades 24 seven and the parents do as well. Um, so that, that whole system, like I also remember having to like bubble in grades too. And we don't have to do that anymore. It just has done, done that automatically. Yeah. So um, so, so like the system and the in- infrastructure is cool. We use um, Canvas in our district. That's like kind of the way that you can assign work, communicate with students, and things like that. And so it, it's kind of nice. You can put a, a you know worksheet up there, and just stuff doesn't get lost. Yeah. You know, you could hand stuff to kids, and they could say, "Well, I, I didn't get that. This is you know back when I was first teaching, and now that's not an excuse because you always had it in the first place." So. And, and you can't like say, I think I turned that in because you have a record of whether they did turn it in or not. Right. And it's like, you know, I can't grade what I don't see or what I don't have. So then they're like, okay, I must have not submitted it correctly. So. You yeah, man, all that stuff is so powerful. And you know, my, my kid, I know in her, her school in the district, obviously they use that. And then I know like last night I was looking over her shoulder when she's on the couch doing her English and her, her anatomy and physiology, AP class, all that stuff. And she's going back and forth between screens on the, on her laptop and I can see all these kids on a Google Doc collaborating and everybody's punching in their notes and adding stuff together. And yeah. so they're putting together these resources. And just the fact that they're doing that is just amazing. Yeah, that was a, you know, I mean, we used to have big long lines at the copy machine and we we don't anymore because it's so easy. Like if I had something like that I would have done in the past, like I might have a short story that I want the kids to read that is 10 pages. Um, and, you know, if I had a 60 kids in those classes that I, you know, needed to, to use it with, I'd have to go to the copy machine and 
you know, run that off and feel really bad if somebody had to make a couple copies and I was in front of them. But now I can just throw that up on Canvas and they can. Oh, the, the other thing that's probably important to know is we're a one to one school. So every student has an iPad. Yep. And so they that would be how I would deliver it now is, you know, just to save paper and save time. They can they can put it on their iPad, put it over into Notability and annotate it, take notes and things like that. Um, and that's that's been a big change for us, although I think a lot of us are starting to go pull back a little bit from the digital delivery because we feel like worksheets are, you know, kids spend so much time on their devices. And one of the things we did a survey that, that the, the, the kids said that they spend, uh, not only do they spend most of their day on their iPad, but they spend too much time on their iPad. And if I do something on a worksheet and pass that out, a lot of times they're very thankful that they get a break from it. Yeah. I know for so me, they're aware of it. Yeah, man. So. Even for me, and you know, I, I know kids are the same way. There's something about just that tactile experience of feeling the rollerball or the felt tip scratch across the paper, and you know, communicating like that. I love it. Yeah, that's uh, and and I think you know, you can obviously see what they're doing a little bit more uh, than than they would do, you know, on when they have their screens, you know, you can't always tell what they're doing. Yeah. This is off topic, but I'm just wondering when, um, you, as a reader, do you read actual books? Or are you a digital guy? I've never been able to do the digital thing. Cause I, like you said, I like the tactile experience of having a book. Yeah. And I also like, um, the sense of completion that you get as you progress through a book and you can really see, Oh, I'm halfway done in a way that you can't when you're on an iPad. So I tried to read one book and I don't, it just doesn't really work for me. I like the physical copy of books. I like the smell of books. I, I don't know if that's a weird thing to say. I was about but to say it now. Yeah. I, I just, it needs to be like a more sensory kind of experience for me than what an iPad provides. Yeah. And then I have like the, one of those old Kindles and still, because I have to, because I'm so old, I can't read anything. I have to make the print so big and the thing. Yeah. And, and um, but it'll tell me like I'm, I'm on page 107 of 33,000 or something. Like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What? If you did like one word per yeah. page or something like that. It'd be like a really long I'm about book, at one so. word per page, man. That's about where I'm at. I, I think one time I, I, I fooled the, the kids one time because they were, uh, and these were younger kids, I think. And they, they were, I, we were looking at something on the on the iPad that you could change the font. So it was something that was kind of older in the public domain. And I, you know, I told them now you can change the font size, but you realize that if you increase the page length, it'll take you longer to read. And they're like, oh yeah, so we better make sure that we keep it in a small font. And they totally didn't figure that out. <laughs> I love the younger kids, man. When I one of the things I did when um when I had uh, younger kids, and this is right when our school first got computers, we had our first computer lab, and I would take the kids, I'd make them wash their hands before we went, so they wouldn't get a computer virus out there and spread it around. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. We had a yeah that. I, I taught middle school for a couple of years and, and felt like that was one of the best aspects of working with that group is you could always convince them of something and have some fun it with it. I, fun. I remember that I work with told, um, told his seventh grade class, like in between class changes that there was only um, five different combinations on lockers in the school. And if they tried their, their combination on enough <laughs> lockers, they were bound to be able to open one that wasn't theirs. And it was amazing how long they, they continued to do that yeah. before they gave up that that wasn't true. <laughs> That's the good and, stuff. And if it didn't work, we're like, oh, just keep trying. You're about, bound to hit one. You know? yeah, and just not I think it was the same teacher, too. He had, um, it was a math class, and he got tired of kids not doing their homework. So he multiplied every assignment by a factor of 10. So all of a sudden, instead of 10 points, being, like homework being 10 points, um, it was worth 100 points. But, but so the tests were, you know, everything was scaled up by 10. And they never really figured out that it was still, you know, in relative terms, worth the same amount, right. but they would look at it and say, oh, this is 100 points. I better do this. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you can always play those kind of mind games with, with those kids. Keep, I think it keeps teachers amused and engaged. You got to well. entertain yourself somehow, man. 
Yeah. <laughs> hey man, if you had um if you had a kid coming into your uh class right now and to be a teacher, um I'm not sure if you've ever had a student teacher, have you? Uh, it's been a while since I had one. The problem is, is that I have AP classes and uh, they don't tend to like to have yeah. um, student teachers cover those classes. And so if you have one coming in today and um, just, you know, what what would be some of those things? Like, I always wonder, like, if you could guide, because, you know, with, with my work, a lot of my work, man, is one and done. You know, I'm there mm-hmm. for a day and I'm out and I'm, I'm back on the airplane. And I always wonder, like, what would I do if I had somebody for a few weeks or a semester and I'm wondering for you, like being in the classroom and where you are right now in your career and all that you've been through and experience, what what would you suggest might be some of those things to help a new teacher out with? Uh, well, the first thing that I would absolutely tell a teacher that was entering in the profession is that you have to take care of yourself. Um, and because teaching will fill up as much time as you're willing to let it fill up. Yeah. Um, and you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself because if you're not healthy and you're not, you know, mentally with it, then, um, you know, you're not going to be a teacher for your kids. Um, so you need to set effective boundaries on how much time teaching is going to fill up and make sure that you do things like read, um, or, you know, play an instrument or something like that, that, you know, something that will lower your stress level, you know, writing all those kinds of things. Um, I think that's, that's what burns people out is just feeling overwhelmed and feeling like they can get it perfect. Um, because you never really will. Um, and that's, that's, I think, the biggest thing that I would tell somebody entering into the pro- profession right now is you need to set healthy boundaries on your work life. I mean, I think everybody needs to do that, but I think teaching is especially victim to that because we feel like we can always do more. And if, if we do more, then we'll be able to take, you know, change more lives and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, the first time I ever thought about that was um, my daughter, I think she was in the third grade. And I want to say... Um, it was, she might've been a first year teacher, um, her teacher, third grade, it was a Montessori program. And I'm not, I'm looking back, I'm, I'm wondering if it was her first year at that school or a first year teacher. And she was a teach for America, um, uh, person and super smart. And I didn't think she was going to, you know, stay in the business at all. And she's really mm-hmm. young. And I've been teaching for a long time at this point and I'm out and consulting and doing all that <laughs> stuff. And I said, hey, what do you think about the principal? I mean, she's amazing. And she goes, yeah, she's really effective. And we, and, and we talk more about the principal. And, and she goes, but there's one thing I'm really disappointed in, and that is all the time she spends at the school. It's really not mm-hmm. a, um, a, a good model for teachers because, because she was there. She would be there all weekend for 12, 14 hours. She'd be there till 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And and my whole time I was thinking, wow, what an amazing person like that she would do mm-hmm. this and sacrifice. But then I thought to myself, you know what? I get it. Like, I never thought about that. Like, that's not the best message to send to teachers or even kids, you know? Yeah, I think that's, um, that's, that's definitely something that we, we a lot of times in teaching, um, equate long hours with effectiveness. Um, and I'm getting a lot of this. These, these are words that Angela Watson has used before. Um and I'd always thought them, but she put them in such a good way. And so, you know, we might see a car that's at the at the school until like six o'clock at night and say, oh, well, they're a really dedicated teacher. Um, and, and they may be, but it's not necessarily, you know, that those hours are, are time well spent. So I guess another thing that I would tell um, a teacher coming in is that the time that you are in front of your students is the most important time of the day. Um, and that's where, that's where, you know, the vast majority of the instruction takes place is when you're face to face, or that's where it should take place is, is right there. So, um, so you need to use that time wisely 
and, and make sure you're managing that time. Cause that's when the, that's when all the good stuff happens. Yeah. You know, when I started out, um, um, I'm not sure many, many people know this, but when I very, when I first started, I was a music teacher, I was band director. Okay. And I want to be, I want to do that band director thing. And I was doing it for, um, I think it was in there five or six years. And in Texas, because we have this little thing called football, and mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not sure if you heard of it. Yeah, I, I think I've yeah I've heard of I've heard about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, if you want to go to heaven, you play football. And um, yeah, this sounds like Friday Night Lights. Wasn't that set in Texas? That thing ain't. That's not an exaggeration, man. That's like yeah, you know, and, and yeah, is in is in West Texas in Midland Odessa area and in Permian ISD. And what I was telling people, what I would tell people is. Um, Cause coaches ask me all around cause they like, they're just, cause we have, you know, we just built a stadium down as for a high school stadium for $120 million. I mean, it's like huh. people would, and there's these seat, like 40,000 people for a high school game. Yeah. And I try to, and they'll have, you know, 25, 30 coaches on staff for a football team. And I try to tell teach, well, what I tell coaches around the country, I said, man, whatever you have in your head about how absurd it is times that by 10 and then you're close mm-hmm. It is so, but I was going to say because of that football um, band was really competitive, and um, and we required a ton of time and hours and competition and summers and Saturdays and band boosters and band camps, and um, and when I finally decided to get married, my my wife said um, she said you obviously um, live to work, which is fine, but I work so I can live, and so if you live to work, you just can't live near me. <laughs> that's good yeah so i went out and got recertified i taught you know language arts and english and biology and all kinds of other stuff and um but that was the, that was the big thing for me like as soon as i got into another discipline i really really focused um like um really stuck like religiously to my schedule you know for mm-hmm. me and my wife and for my kids so i can be there to be a parent as well as a great teacher yeah, I think, and, and I think the other re- important thing to realize, this is something else I would tell a, a teacher that's coming in, is that, you know, a lot of the the time that you think you need to do things is, is relatively arbitrary. Um, in other words, nobody, there's no set time to grade an essay um, in terms of like, you need to spend X amount of time on this or, or whatever. And so you can end up spending a lot of time on things that don't really, don't really matter. Um, or, or spend more time on it because you think you ought to, but nobody's really telling you that the pressure comes from within. And, and that's something else you have to manage is like your own expectations for yourself and, you know, how, how much time you're, again, setting boundaries on how much time you're willing to spend doing any part of the teaching job. Yeah. You know, for me, I think what changed it was having kids because yeah, um, that, that happened for me too. You know, when, because I mean, I would spend a ton of time simply because I could. Yeah. And when I had kids, everything changed and that became yeah. the priority. And then after a couple of years, I realized, wait a minute, man, I'm not spending nearly as much time on the school stuff, but I'm teaching just as effectively. Yeah. I, I, and I think that's the, that's the thing. Like, if, you know, if you're able to compress it into a smaller amount of time, you're going to be more efficient with that time um, because you're going to force yourself to be, but you know, I, I, I hear you tonight. Um, you know, my, my son has a strings concert that he has to be at the school at 6.30 and the concert's at 7. It'll last probably till 8.30. And so we have to, you know, we have to eat early before that. And there's not a whole lot of time to do after that. So I just don't really have enough time to get things done. And I, I do think it's important to realize, too, that our students are operating under the same restraints. They've got jobs and they've got activities and things like that, too. And I think that's another thing that teachers need to be sensitive to. I think it's really easy. You go into the classroom and you're focused on your 40 minutes of, 
of instruction or 50 minutes of instruction or whatever for that day. And, you know, to you, that's like the most important part of the day. Um, but to them, you're just one of eight periods. And then, you know, they go off and do something else. And so what what is number one thing for us may not be number one for them. And it, and it probably isn't, you know, so um, just just thinking about like having a good sense of perspective about like where you are in their lives and how much of your their time and their thoughts you you occupy. Because, you know, when, you know, I'll teach second period and then I'll get another group of kids that are ready for English class third period. So I spent all my day teaching English, but those kids from second period went off to math or economics or something like that. And they're in a completely different world until, you know, till the next day. Yeah. You know, um, I had an interesting open house um, experience, um, you know, kind of meet the teacher night at my kid's high school. And she goes to mm -hmm. a really rigorous high school. It's a performing arts high school here in Houston. But yeah. um, going there really is like going to two high schools at the same time. It's crazy rigorous mm -hmm. academically and then crazy rigorous in the art area. And um, uh, the first time I met her science teacher, Mr. Zhao, he, um, he told the story of when he became a teacher, like his goal was these kids are going to become the best scientists in the world, all of them. Mm -hmm. Even though he's teaching at an art school, he's going to convince them, you know, there's dancers working against the grain. Yeah, he's, we got dancers and singers and instrumentalists. And, you know, my daughter's an actor, creative writers, visual artist. Nope, they're becoming scientists because of my passion and how good of a teacher. I am. And then he became—he he said he became aware really quick that um, you know it's not really about that. And sure, he wants these kids to leave with it with a with a general understanding of science and how the world works and their role in it. But more than that, you know, it's really for him now about using the content of his classroom to create like, like these high-performing, amazing kids of exceptional character. And that, and he's and he's just going to happen to use, you know, AP anatomy to make that happen. Yeah, it's it's funny because, like, I, I mean, I was a good student when I was in school, but um, you know, I was I was keenly aware that there there was school, and then when I got home, I got to do all the stuff that I would have rather been doing, um, like drawing would be something, or you know, reading or playing guitar, just you know, anything like that. And I think um, one of the things that I've come to understand over the past three years is that. You know, there are students, you know, most students are passionate about something outside of school and they never really get a chance to demonstrate what they know using those passions. Um, and that's where I started to let kids choose how they would be evaluated on the standards and say, you know, you, you don't have to do like a paper or something like that. You can do, you know, a, you know, something like like a video or a podcast or a blog or anything like that, as long as you demonstrate to me that you, that you understand the standard, I don't really care. And when you open that up and bring in some let kids use their interests to demonstrate their learning. It's, it's really powerful. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, just, we, um, you know, I think we get a lot of times in so many classes, man, that's so good. We just get caught up in what we're trying to accomplish and trying to, you know, mm -hmm. cover and we're checking the things off the list that we need to cover this year in this short amount of time. And man, I just really wish there was more time to let these kids just unveil what they're passionate about and what they believe in and what they love. Because it changes everything, not just the information, but yeah. also the dynamic of the classroom. Yeah, we, uh, you know, by the time that I get them in, in high school, you know, they, they're creative kids when they're in elementary school, but we've kind of stamped out a lot of their creativity by the time they get to the high school. And, and it's really too bad. And, and the other thing I think we do is, is uh, somewhere along the line, you know, most kids love to read. Um, you know, I was at this like reading contest for my daughter who's in fourth grade. And at the end, they were chanting, reading, reading. Yeah. It's like that never happened. Nobody does that in my class. <laughs> nobody, nobody chants for reading. Right. Um, you know, and somewhere along the line, we, we've taught them that reading is work. And, um, 
and, and I think that's something we really need to consider as language arts teachers is, you know, what, what's happening along the way um, to make kids that used to love to read to, to son, somehow find it something that they don't like to do. Yeah, man, you know what it is. I mean, I think it's clear that, you know, we, we just have this sta- this standard, you know, reading, like here's what we're reading this year. And a lot mm-hmm. of those kids, it's kind of like mathematics. A lot of kids are nowhere near yeah. ready for that. Mm-hmm. And because of that, because they're not ready, they just don't have the vocabulary or the understanding or they're just their brain isn't cracking, you know, at that, that quickly at that age, for whatever reason, um, it, they just, they're just, they're done. They're bail out just too much. And we, and we, and we lose them as a reader. Yeah. We found, uh, the, the, the power of choice works really well. So, um, we, we do some whole class novels in, in my school. Um, but we also allow some choice novels as well. Um, so they might have like 10 books that they get to choose from. And I found that like once they're once kids get to choose what they read, they're a lot more likely to do it. Um, and, and it's really interesting. So even with like with seniors, um, you know, who are, a lot of times are checked out, like, you know, I'll give them something that we're all going to read together, um, like their eyes are watching God. And then I give them a list of like 20 books and say, you know, here's what you're going to you can choose from these. And, and some kids maybe will or maybe will not finish the whole class novel but they tend to finish the ones that they chose themselves because they, you know, I, I think that the way that it works is they chose it. So they feel obligated to, to finish it. Whereas a lot of them, if, if I choose it, they don't necessarily feel that sense of obligation to do that. Yeah. You know, the- and, and I find that too, like anything that I like, I, I've read plenty of books that I would otherwise have enjoyed if I'd picked them up on my own. But when I had to read them for a school and somebody was telling me to do it and there was things I had to do with it, I enjoyed it slightly less and it took me longer to read it. You know, man, I was thinking the um, when the, those kids like that flame gets snuffed out, and it and it just isn't in reading. It's just so many areas. You know, like you can walk into yeah. a first grade and say, "Hey, who here is a great artist?" Everybody's yeah. hand goes up. <laughs> I am. Yeah. You know, and you can go in second grade. Hey, who who here is a great singer? Man, they all. You know, who's a great athlete? Everybody raise their hand. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you know, they just get this, uh, you know, I don't know what happens. Um, just somewhere. I think there's so much data and feedback. I mean, like it really is. A kid could um, fail one spelling test and now he is convinced he yeah. can't spell. He's not a good reader. He's not good at this. He doesn't write well. It's, I think it's amazing. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple things at, at play because um, I see it with my own kids. You know, in elementary school, a lot of the grades are not technically grades. You know, they're like, you know satisfactory or, you know, achieving and and those kinds of things. And then once you start to attach points to things, I think that's where the, where the the problem happens. And and I think once you start to to do points and much more is at risk, then kids start to be afraid of failure. And I know I I have a lot of kids because I teach a lot of the advanced kids and, and a number of them um, feel like if it's not, if they don't pick it up easy, then it's not worth their time. Um, you know, and, and they don't want to, they don't want to struggle because there's, there's so much at risk. They feel like if they if their grades are not good, they're not going to get into a good college. Um, you know, and so they'll tend to go, you know, for the easy w- way out and they don't, they're not risk takers. They're risk adverse because of that. Yeah. And also it's, it, what's interesting is how much, um, they, they put how much value, how much weight they give to that grade. It's like, yeah, man, she's six points smarter than me. I'm like, hey, yeah. brother, you got a 92, well, it's funny. got a 98. It's the same grade, man. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, um, we're doing away with class rank in three years, three years. We're doing away with class rank, um, because it's creating some negative competition Yeah, um, that, that is not healthy 
Um, I agree. And, and you'll see that, like, you know, they'll, they'll pass out their transcripts. And the first thing that, you know, the, the honors kids will look at is their, um, their rank. And then what's the next thing they look at? The other kids' ranks. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'm, you know, 20, but everybody else in this class is like below me. So I guess I'm doing okay. Yeah. You know, so that's that constant sense of competition. But, you know, it's funny. So like um, you mentioned drawing and like, if you'd ask my daughter who's in fourth grade, if she's a, a good artist, she'll probably say, yes, she is. Cause you just don't think that you're not that way. Um, but then like they get to me and if I ask them to draw something, cause I do like to do creative stuff in the classroom and they'll draw these stick figures. And I'm like, you know, you, you, you've had art classes in, in school before, you know how to do better than that. So I finally got tired of this and I created this little, um, handout that says, say no to stick figures. And it shows you how to draw something that looks a little bit more like a human. It's got like poses on it and stuff like that. So I threw this up on my website, on, on my blog and said, this, this is, you know, for kids who say they can't draw. Here's a little reference so that they can draw, you know, more anatomically correct people than stick figures. And that's like one of my most popular posts on there because people are like, yes, this will, I'm going to hand this out and solve this problem. Cause, cause it's not like they don't, they, they can draw better than what they, what they do. It's just that they, they don't believe in themselves. They, they don't believe. And there's, um, I think, um, here's what, so the crazy part to me is, um, cause I have the same, um, between drawing and singing and playing an instrument. So I grew up as a musician and mm -hmm. I can see, um, the, the look in people's eyes as if I have some kind of superpower, you know, <laughs> they, like they don't know, man, I just learned, like I went and took lessons and I practiced yeah. and it's, it's like a skill. I'm certainly not talented. Listen, I know, I know talented musicians. I ain't one of them. I'm just like, I learned a yeah. skill. And, um, but I think like, I think people feel like art the same way you either can, or you can't rather than it's a skill and you can do it and get better at it. Well, I also think, it, you know, if you start to say something like that, like, you know, oh, you're just really good at art, like it dismisses the amount of hard work that it takes to <laughs> yeah. get to where you're at. And that's, you know, that's the thing, like, like, I don't necessarily want to be called a natural at anything. I want to be recognized for the amount of dedication and practice that I put into getting good at drawing. You know, that's, that's the, that's the thing, because I'm constantly studying and I'm always reading about it on my own just to see how things, I'm, I'm just fascinated by the idea of design um and and creativity and how that works and so i read i just read a lot about that and you know that that would be like my passion outside of outside of the classroom is doing that kind of stuff it just happens to intersect with what i'm already doing yeah man i think um you know also with that i think that applies to teaching too where i listen i know i've seen some really young teachers come in and they are kind of gifted naturally Mm -hmm. But the vast majority, I think people don't realize how much time people have, like great teachers, how much time they thought about it and there's, yeah. and they've rethought about it and, and they are aware of their weaknesses and, and, and triggered, fought, figured out how to be strong in those areas. Like mm -hmm. it takes work, man. Yeah. Well, and, and it's funny because you mentioned like just always wanting to tinker with things. And like, that is one of the main things that I like about teaching is, is, you know, changing things up or, and doing things new. So like, but I also know some teachers in my building that, you know, they would be freaked out if they had to teach a completely different class than what they taught um, because they've been teaching the same thing year after year after year. And I'm like, God, that'd be awful. I would hate that. And I, I always kind of think about, okay, so what is it about teaching for them that, that what, what, um, what gets them excited because, you know, change and figuring things out and doing things differently gets me excited. And, and I guess maybe for them, it's, making getting as close to perfect as you can i'm, I'm not quite sure because i'm just not wired that yeah. way 
Um, so I'm not even sure that's possible because you know, like where when you think you have it, you know how it is, man. Like so you get some crazy dynamic of a classroom you've never experienced yeah. before, or like one you get one new kid and one new kid that personality can change the dynamics of everything. Yeah, it's um yeah it's funny. I think I think every teacher like at, at heart is really afraid of being exposed as a fraud. Um, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. And so a lot of our behaviors, I think, are kind of geared towards making sure that we, you know, can remind ourselves that we're actually good teachers and good educators and we know what we're doing. And, you know, maybe that's the that's the the thing is like, you know, people don't like to go out and try new things because that might be the lesson that you're like, oh, wait, you know what? I thought this teacher had it together. But today, man, they really proved that they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, because that lesson was terrible. Yeah, man. Here's I, I've tried to explain this before, and it, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But starting out as a as an instrumental music teacher, as a band director, that mm-hmm. helped me so much in the rest of my career teaching all those other subjects. Because in a lot of subjects, let's say in English, um, like who really knows how talented this guy is or how good he is? Because it's such an abstract yeah. thing. But when you're a music teacher, and I, and I started as a percussionist, I mean, I would have some eighth grade kid who showed up and was way better than me. And there's no doubt yeah. about it. Like, you can see it, and it's clear, and everybody yeah. knows it. And there's no, it doesn't make me, like, I can still teach this kid a lot. But like, there's like, you have to be real, like there can no be, there's no ego in instrumental music because people, you just can't, you're not going to be as good as every kid that shows up. Yeah. And you're, and you're, you have an idea of what the music is supposed to sound like. Um, and, and that's always, you know, you, you, so you have like a goal in mind of where you want to be. Like my daughter does ballet and ballet has to be done a particular way and you have to meet a certain standard. And, you know, if you don't meet that standard, you're not going to perform. Um, and, and, you know, certain students will operate well under that type of environment, but other students will be like, I just want to dance how I want. And, you know, that's fine too, but they just don't, the ballet world is not for them. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You said, um, I remember, um, talking to somebody that coached, I think it was track and they were talking about how, how much different it is with track versus, um, you know, teaching some like coaching something like soccer where you have to worry about playing time and, you know, if you have a, a, a parent that comes up to a kid after track and say, why isn't my kid, you know, running, running more in races, you're like, well, <laughs> you know, there's six lanes and he was the seventh fastest kid. Yeah. So if he wants to run next time, he needs to run faster. Yeah. You know, it's just, you just don't have to have those, those conversations. Completely subjective. Yeah. It. Right. You know, where the, <laughs> where that, all the subjective stuff where, you know, but track totally objective like here's the yeah or like tennis is another one you know well you know i want to i want to be the number one um you know have the be the number one spot on the tennis team like okay fine then you play the number one guy yeah and if you can beat him then you can be number one Done. so you know you don't have to worry about that there's no judgment call at that right. point but first sit in first chair in the clarinet section oh my god yeah <laughs> it's all subjective man. well and then um the funny thing about that too like i, I have um um students that will resent like who gets the first chair because they don't think that that person deserves it. You know, that whole, some of that, you know, trickles into my class occasionally and they're like, Oh, that person totally I'm better than him. And you know, they, but they got the chair. Right. So that, that kind of stuff is all over the place. They had a better audition, man. Doesn't mean they're a better player. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's tough. So, you know, like my kid, that's her whole life because she's a, you know, she's an actor. And um, I can't even mm-hmm. tell you how many hundreds of no's and no, like I, I personally could not deal with yeah. it. It's just amazing. 
And she goes to a really competitive school and they're constantly auditioning. And, and, and you know, who gets the part? The person with the best audition. Right. And, yeah. And, and that's another thing like the, the fear, like rejection is something that I think kids need to learn to accept. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that I'm grateful for the, the place where my daughter um, studies ballet is she's been turned down for the Nutcracker twice. Um, and she's, you know, trying out again, we'll try out again this year, but it's, you know, I think that it's healthy for her to learn how to process that kind of stuff and to feel like you're not always entitled to get what you want simply because you want yeah. it. I believe it, man, but I suck at it. Like I'm the first one, like in my <laughs> heart, I want like, like, all right, who do I need to call? All right, let's get this, let's get this yeah. straight out. That's what I'm thinking. I don't do it, but I'm thinking about it. It's like, all right, how do I get yeah. this handled? So, so my kid can have this experience. I'm terrible at that whole, you know, they call it. Yeah, the, and, uh, and of course, of course now like you know when you've got social media the the temptation like you can really go on there and spout off yeah. you know about it. so <laughs> if you don't you know if you don't make the ballet audition you can go and say i just wanted to let you know that this ballet place is terrible you know right. blah 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 and then throw that out there and try to get your revenge that way you know in the past you didn't have a way to do that but yeah that you know we, we talk i talk a lot about that with with students because we read a couple books that are about revenge and talking about you know, what, you know, the, 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 the positive and healthy way to deal with, um, you know, at any form of rejection, whether it be from, you know, another person, a, a friend or a, a boyfriend or girlfriend and, and making sure that, you know, what the healthy response is to that. So, um, well, I'm going to so, assure you, you know, that I have so far, I've always, res as an adult, I've always responded in a healthy way, but what's happening here in my head ain't healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, man, let's. I want to um, ask you one last thing before we um, shut it down, okay. and this is controversial. And okay. you got to go completely honest, man. So we are coming up, right. and uh, this is a this is the thing that I've covered in the past that got a little viral, and I'm about to do another. I just thought I'm gonna do this again. I'm gonna send this video out there again. I'm gonna make another one, kind of version two. And what I talked about was um, giving a kid a nine. I call I call the I call the uh, the, the video bumping the nine. And you uh -huh. know, there's um, and the, the way it happened was my kid came home with a uh, in her third six weeks, I want to say it was her junior year in one of her classes. She came home with a, I, I guess seventy nine or something like that, and mm -hmm. and she needed the eighty, and um, and it affected her semester grade, and it and like I'm thinking, I think it brought it down. I think it brought it from an A, her semester grade from an A to a B. And, um, and I'm thinking, um, like my first thought was, Hey man, like, couldn't you do just a little bit better on something to get mm -hmm. yourself an 80? And she goes, I did everything. I talked to her over and over. And, and, and so the teacher, so what, like, what are your thoughts on the nine given the nine? Okay. So it's funny. We were just talking about this the other day, um, with, with my students and, um, what we were, I, I think the, the thing about it is, is, is like, Let's it, with a math class, you know, everything that you grade is completely objective. Here we go. This um, is what I want to hear. You know, there's not a, yeah, so there's not a, there's not a, uh, there's not a judgment call like there is in English class. So if you came up to me and you had a 79% um, and you wanted to be bumped up to an 80, it's, it's probably going to be like a 79.2 or right. 0.3. And it probably, if I give them one point or two points more, it probably will bump them up to an 80. So I'm looking at an assignment that I gave them that was like maybe a, a 70 points on a paper. And, you know, I have all these different categories that are in there. 
Um, and ultimately all those categories for the most part are a judgment call. So if I look at their support, um, you know, I might, might've given them like a, a, a seven out of 10 or an eight out of 10 or something like that. Um, but it's really, those scores are, are basically a judgment call. Um, so in most cases, if they're, if they're close enough um, and, you know, it's just a matter of a couple points, I'll probably give it to them and bump them up to the 80, especially, and I hate to say this, but it's not objective either. Like if you look at, at, at kids and I feel like perhaps their grade doesn't necessarily reflect the, the work that they've done. Perhaps they participate a lot in class, which I don't have as a score. You know, they, they, you know, participate, they know what they're talking about. They've demonstrated in other ways that they've mastered the material then, um, you know, I feel like they, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. So, and, and to be honest with you, it doesn't really happen that often. And, this is the kind of stuff that we're trying to get away from with um, class rank. Cause that's usually when it comes into play yeah. is you'll have the kids that are trying to maintain like their top 10, you know, top 10 in the class status. And they do all the math and figure that out that they need this grade in my class to, to do that. So, um, so I'm usually pretty charitable with that um, in, in terms of giving kids points like that, because I recognize that a lot of the grades that I give um, come down to just judgment calls. It's not, hard and fast, like a math class where, you know, you either got the right answer or the wrong answer. So that, that would be my, my response to that. But if it was like a 78, there wouldn't be any way that I would move that up. Yeah. Like if you're kind of like in the middle of the, of the pack for something, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. You know, I felt the um, same but, you know, way. I mean, this is like, this is a lot of, I mean, these are, these problems are not hard, hard to, they're, they're very difficult to solve. Like, let's say you have a student who is, you know, your, he's got like a 58% in your class and he needs your class to graduate. Um, you know, what do you, what do you do with that situation? You know, are you going to fail this kid and, and, and do that? I mean, there's a lot riding on those two percentage points. And, um, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of times that you have to kind of make some tough decisions and, you know, whether they're the right ones or not, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I tend to believe that if you err on the side of being a little bit more charitable, that that'll be, you know, that that's kind of the way way to go. You know, I, I'm not I'm not convinced that you know if I'm at the pearly gates that anybody's going to say you know what you are way too generous with your kids. <laughs> what were you doing? Yeah. You were way too nice. Yeah, man, I feel the same way. And when, and when her teacher said, "There's no way, there's nothing you can do." Those and by the way, this was an AP some sort. I think like a, some sort of a yeah. social studies class and a ton of essay, a ton of outside reading, a ton of. You know, that that it wasn't just true and false and, you know, multiple choice. There's a lot going on in the um, assessment of these kids in terms of essay. And and I thought, man, no, what, no way. What kind like the amount of ego that goes into that to think every lesson I presented this year was as best as I could give. And every assessment I gave and everything I graded was was 100 percent perfect. Uh, you know, coming from the perspective of yeah. a teacher, man, that's a lot. I could, we could talk for another hour easily about AP classes yeah. and, and how your sense of perspective can be completely warped by that because I'm in, I teach AP and it's easy to think, well, because you're an AP student, then you ought to do this. You ought to do more work. Um, you know, you ought to be able to perform at a certain level. And, and that will, you know, it's, when you start playing those mind games, you're in a, a really difficult place because, you know, you can think about all the time about what your kids ought to be doing or what they should be able to do. But the reality is they're in your class and they're at whatever level that they're at and you just have to deal with it and figure out how to instruct those kids. You know, um, last thing, man, is I, uh, 
at a principal, it was early on in my career, it was right when I switched from the band hall into the classroom and I was teaching biology. And I had a kid who was two points short of passing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was based on zeros. He got a ton of zeros. And he'd make them up. And the, the, the school, it wasn't my policy, man. It was the school policy yeah. that late work, you could only get 50%, which I disagreed with. Because mm-hmm. that's not real. Man, I, I'm late on a lot of stuff, and I get full credit, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm late with my taxes. I file an extension. I get full credit there, too. And, um, you know, and so I didn't really agree. And so I went to, and so to fail a kid, you had to talk to the principal. Because he want you know, and for I, I, I you know, because you want to make sure you call the parent, make sure he did everything you could. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I said, all right, man, the kid, you know, he was a few points shy, and he had all of these zeros. And so the principal's looking at his grades. He goes, well, um, he passed his uh, end of course exam. He passed his final. He passed his test. Passed that test. And he looks at me. He goes, what? As you began teaching that biology class, what was your goal for him? And I said, well, I'm trying to teach the kid biology. He goes, mm-hmm. looks to me like you taught him biology. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it really does. Like, you, you, there's this internal dilemma. Yeah, it's interesting. We're, we're doing a lot of that work because we, we have a, a, um, a lot of discussion going on in our district because we our, our policy is basically you can make up anything, again, with no penalty. Um, that's just kind of, you know if you, you can, you, you have multiple opportunities to demonstrate that you know how to do like what the, the, the material is. Um, but then the other thing we're talking about is like the, like the, um, value of homework. Um, and you know, if you let, like, let's say that you get a 98% on a test, but you've not done the homework for that quarter, you know, the philosophy would be, well, they demonstrated that they knew it, um, on the test. So they should get a 98% in the class rather than like a 56 or whatever for the homework. And that's, you know, an equally controversial um, topic as to, you know, what are you really measuring when you when you give kids like a completion grade for homework? Are you measuring learning or understanding or whatever? So, um, you know, and these are interesting conversations to have because I think they do matter a lot. They do matter. In fact, I don't know a lot. I didn't even know this, but I have a friend of mine who's a principal and um, he just, he's a brand new school and they have rampant zeros and kids, all, all kinds of kids can't, can't do extracurriculars. It's a, it's a middle school, junior high. And um, because if, you know, there's just no pass, no play rule here and um, they can't do mm-hmm. band, they can't do football, they can't do whatever. And um, so he decided I'm going to, my new office is in the cafeteria. If you have, if he starts sending passes, if your kid, if this kid has a zero, send them to me, we're going to make it up right now. And so the teachers yeah. were really upset about this, but I think what pe- he told me, the reason I'm doing this, no one talks about this. There is within the state standards for education. It says a kid must be assessed a grade that represents his command and knowledge of the content. And we have kids with mm-hmm. zeros, but yet they're passing um, quizzes and are passing tests. So are we, and we're, like, how can we fail a kid that has demonstrated the command of, of the content and the, you know, has the knowledge? Yeah, it, it, I have a, I think I put it on my blog. I had a, a thing that was like a, um, that somebody else handed to me that was uh, an instructor, instructional leader in the district. It's like, what, what does this kid, what score does this kid deserve? And it has, you know, ho- didn't do any homework, but had good test scores. And the other thing would be like, if they, if they did bet, like if they, if you're going to look at measuring learning, if they had quiz one and they got a 70% and they did, you know, quiz two, they got a, you know, 80% or whatever, um, you know, they've obviously demonstrated that they've improved. So do you give them the 80% or do you average the two together and give them a 75, you know, like it's just, there's, there's all sorts of stuff like that. And you can, 
people can get pretty heated about this conversation. Dude, I asked one question and we're 17 minutes deep into the answer. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, maybe we should have started with that one. I don't know. There's just, a, there's always something to talk about with education. It's interesting. Yeah, man. I love that I stuff. Love and I got and for the record, um, the way I've, you know, turned out in my career is, you know, the answer is whatever I can do that, um, I don't know if it if there's a combination so that it feels fair, but also I'm just going to go with whatever the highest grade is. Let's just do that and make everybody happy. Well, I mean, you know, ultimately you're working with people, yeah. not numbers. Yeah. So you got to keep that in mind. All right, brother. I think you're amazing, man. I love, Hey, real quick. I know there's going to be a ton of teachers that want to um, uh, find out more about your resources and all that you have. Is yeah. it, is it all in teachers pay teachers? Yeah, you can go to Teachers Pay Teachers. I, I, I sell there under my own name, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, another good place to go is my blog, which is davidrickert.com. And I have just a ton of English lessons there. Um, so, you know, just things that work for me in the classroom. Um, so I, I put a lot of stuff on there, mainly so I don't forget it either. You know, I go back to my blog a lot to say, how did I do that yeah, again? Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a good place to, to, both of those would be good places to to be. Um, and if you if you go to my blog, you can join my mail list and I send out you know, lesson ideas, um, on a semi-weekly basis as well. Yeah, man. I think it, I know everybody, when I was first starting up, everybody as a teacher, everybody said, man, just find great stuff and steal it. And, um, mm -hmm. and man, you don't have to steal it anymore. Like there's so many free resources <laughs> or it's like $3 on teachers pay teachers. I mean, it's just so much great yeah. stuff out there. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yeah. This has been fun. Yeah, man. It's been nice awesome. To talk to you. All right. All right. Have a good day. Yeah. Take care, brother. Bye-bye.